well, thank you for, for being here with us, and we look forward to the privilege once again of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and his Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, for all that he's given us and all he's, that he's blessed us with. And it's been a, a long week, a difficult week in many respects, and we um, <clears throat> just thank the Lord for his grace, bring, bringing everyone through. They've had a funeral service on Monday for our sister Wanda. It was a beautiful service, and thank you for all those of you that were able to be there and attend. And we had a a meal here at the church afterwards, and it was well attended, and everybody from the family was very grateful and appreciative of it. And so we're thankful for that, too, and thankful for you that in, in participating in that. Oh, speaking of that, I have somebody's crock pot out here. I'm thinking maybe it's... The one that was full of green beans, uh, Hamilton Beach, nice silver one. Is that yours? Okay, good. It's out here on the bench. <laughs> I thought it was Shirley's all week, but I found out she got hers. So we have one just like it, so I could have kept it. You know, but <laughs> and that's been taken care of. Okay. And uh, if plans hold up, uh, we plan, Janet and I plan to go to Indiana uh, let's see, be, we leave here on the 22nd, so I forgot to add that up, 22nd, whatever, about the 26th or 7th of May, we missed that Sunday, 6th, 26th, because we come back on the 27th, so just let you know about that, and uh, then on June the 23rd, I've announced this a few times, but just getting closer, uh, Jackie Powell from... Uh, a ministry called Light for Israel will be here, and I know several of you get her. How many get her email regularly? Several, quite a few get it. Okay. Called, um, what is it called? Nuggets? Uh, something about nuggets. <laughs> it's a, a little gems from from the Hebrew language, and she brings something forth every, every uh, email about uh, something about the Hebrew scriptures. And so they're, they're very enjoyable. But I know that the last time she was here, you, you enjoyed her greatly. And I found out that she would be back in town that week. And so I said, well, you might as well just plan on speaking here. So we put, we put her on the schedule for that Sunday, the 23rd of June. Okay. Uh, anything else we need to talk about while we're stalling for these guys to get back from the... <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything else I need to mention. The, of course, the con- oh Karen. Oh yeah, <laughs> Jerry. Jerry was just up here and asked me if I would announce about. I mean, how many remember May Blackwell? May passed. She passed away in um, March. So and we just found out about it. So I didn't. I just found out a couple minutes ago. So <laughs> uh, remember that family too. And we thought you would all want to know. I think she had moved over to North Carolina. And then we also um, know that uh, the folks down in Alabama, they're busily preparing their facilities, you know, for the fellowship meeting that's coming up. But I know they're lacking of some funds to finish it off. And so um, maybe after the service, if you can help me remember that this morning, we might want to... I'll bring that up, and we might want to see if we could uh, help them a little more to kind of finish that thing off and have it all ready. Uh, I know that they're working hard at it and would like to see that done. And then we want to thank uh, the Lord for Jeff fixing up our computer back there where we could have this live stream. So our service is going out live over the Internet this morning, and we have some several several listeners, five at least, that we not, couldn't see uh, tuned in this morning, so we welcome you folks as well. Okay, we want to turn to Mark's gospel this morning. And go to Mark chapter 1. And this will be just a launching point for us. And where we're going to end up, who knows for sure. But what I want to talk about this morning is the expression that we use frequently, uh, and when we talk about here at least, is the faith. What is the faith? Especially when the scriptures use the article the 
before the word faith. What is it talking about? And I feel like sometimes we just talk about it and we say we know what it is, but I want, I like to establish things from Scripture. Yes, sir. Love, love, one, another. love one another. The faith. Well, that's included in that for sure. You can be sure. So let's look at Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 1. And what we want to find out or determine is what is, when it talks about the faith, it's important to know what is the content of the faith of which he's speaking. It's one thing to have faith, but it's another thing to know what that faith is in, what the content of it is, or what it should be in according to Scripture. Now, in verse... One, you see there, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then over in verse 14, it says there, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, if you ask yourself, repent ye and believe the gospel, you might want to ask yourself, believe the gospel of what? Well, he just told us in verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repent ye and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, That is a relatively easy thing. I guess I'm hesitant in my words here, but I think it's without spending a great deal of time, it would be relatively easy to go through the gospel accounts, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to show that the gospel which Jesus preached was the gospel concerning the kingdom. That was his message. In verse 14 of Mark's gospel, the analytical, literal translation says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Be repenting and believing in the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, he didn't have to repeat himself to state what was the obvious. Be repenting and believing in the gospel of the kingdom. The literal translation version says the same thing in essence. After John was delivered up, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God draws near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, turn back to Matthew chapter 23, which means you just turn back left there just a few pages, and you'll come to chapter 23. And in this verse... You'll see that it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now, frequently in the scriptures, they leave the article out in English. But you can be sure that in Greek, in this passage, there's an article before the word faith. As a matter of fact, there's an article before the word judgment and the word kindness as well. Young's literal translation translates it this way. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you give tithe of the mint and the dill and the cumin and did neglect the, greater, the weightier things of the law, the judgment and the kindness and the faith, these things it behoove you to do and those not to neglect. In other words, he says you've neglected the weightier things of the law. So conversely, they were giving heed to the lighter things of the law. The lesser things of importance was the things that the scribes and the Pharisees were laying all their focus upon. And yet they were the religious leaders of the nation. And yet they were giving their focus and attention upon the lighter things rather than the weightier things. The judgment, the kindness, and the faith. Now, let's continue on. Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. In Luke's account, in verse 8, and this is concerning the, the unjust judge, in verse 6, he, it says there, The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, of course, again, the article the is in the Greek text. It's, will he find the faith upon the earth? And, of course, and when you answer, when you ask a rhetorical question, you expect the answer that seems most obvious to us all. That the answer would be no. He's not going to find the faith upon the earth at the time that he comes. And all we have to do is read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to find that to be the case. The Laodicean church, you know, is, is gasping for breath. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 3 just for a moment, and let's just take a look at that church. This church indicating that condition in which the churches would be at the end of the age, right before the Lord Jesus Christ returns, tells us what's going on. To the Laodicean church, he says in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that was just a kind way that they said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. The abhorrence that the Lord has for lukewarmness. The abhorrence that the Lord has and how much he despises warm, tepid Christianity, devoid of full-blown truth. Water that has a little bit of hot, and a little bit of cold mixed together makes warm water. Christianity that has a little bit of the truth mixed in with a little bit of the false makes for a meek and mild form of Christianity. And God says, that I will vomit out of my mouth. But then he says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked, and so on, all to the point where he says he stands at the door outside the church knocking that if any in a church that is lukewarm like this being spoken of, there should happen to be one who, as Luke says, concerning the word of the kingdom, has a good and honest heart, in receiving the gospel, he said, I will come into that person and I will fellowship with him and he with me. Or the King James says, I will sup with him and he with me. 
And that is a desperate picture of the condition of the church. Now, of course, there's more we could say about that. But my point back here in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8 is, shall he find the faith upon the earth? Well, the faith here has to do with that which Jesus has been teaching and proclaiming to his disciples and to the nation of Israel all through his ministry. Now, if we turn over to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, following the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, his commissioning of his disciples to go out and preach the gospel... we find that they did nothing more than continue preaching exactly the same gospel that Jesus preached concerning the coming kingdom. In verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, notice it says there, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we find that the content here of the faith being spoken of has to do with that gospel which Jesus proclaimed to his disciples, which they have now been commissioned to carry out and go on preaching following his ascension, and which they did do. And here we find... A great company of priests, it says, became obedient to the faith. In Young's literal translation, he says, And the word of God did increase, and the number of the disciples did multiply in Jerusalem exceedingly. A great multitude also of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, on over to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians 1.23... Again, Paul, Paul writing here. And of course, he's writing to a church in which he's being very stern regarding the gospel. And in verse 23, he says... Concerning these churches that he had visited, he says in verse 23, But they, heard, they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And you'll see that article once more. He preaches the faith. The faith. Which, G, which Paul is now preaching is the faith which earlier he had tried to destroy. The faith was G, which Jesus had proclaimed and the disciples had gone out preaching themselves, Paul tried to destroy that faith. Then having met the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road and having uh, been converted, having turned, as it were, to the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing the error of his way, Paul now goes about preaching that same faith. And so what we're trying to realize up to this point is that nothing has changed with regard to the content of this faith. It is the faith concerning the proclamation of who Jesus claimed himself to be the Messiah that was promised to Israel and that he was coming to fulfill all the promises that God had given through the fathers and they would come through him. Then if you'll look to, um, let's go on here. Then if you'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's move a few chapters over yet. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says here, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly 
that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That is, to depart from, they would withdraw. They would fall away from the faith. And what would they do? Well, you see a long list of things that they would turn away to, fall away to. They would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and speak lies and hypocrisy and so on. And you can read the list for yourself. The point I'm trying to make here is that Paul tells us that in the latter times regarding the faith and the content of faith, the body of truth that that faith embraces, there would be some who would withdraw from that. They would hold themselves back, fall away from it, and not hold to it any longer. Then, if you look at chapter 5 and verse 8 of 1 Timothy, Paul there says, If any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, the word infidel just means an unbeliever. which is pretty strong language. For one who does not provide for his own house, he is said to have denied the faith. The very gospel that Jesus and the apostles preached. And not doing... In other words, there are things to do. There are things that follow upon the faith. There are things that attend to one who embraces the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel which Jesus proclaimed. And if we do not act upon it, hold to it, and embrace it right up to the very day of our death so that we can be like those Hebrews believers who all died in faith, then he says here, you've denied the faith. In verse 1, these over here withdrew and fell away from the faith. So there's denial, there's falling away. Then if we turn over to, let me keep up here. Um, James chapter 2, verse 1. That's a great verse here. James chapter 2, verse 1. And it's great, even though you don't necessarily see it immediately, in our common version here. But in verse 1, it says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, if we take that verse in a more literal sense, we could read it like this, as Robert Young translated it. My brethren, hold not in respect of persons the faith of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I like the way he expresses it here because it tells us what the content of faith is right here in this verse. It is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have done this in the past, and I'm just going to do it very, very briefly here. If we'll go back to Matthew chapter 25... And verse 31, and what I want us to see here is that the glory is a direct reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish the throne of his kingdom where he will rule over this earth for the next 1,000 years. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31... It says there, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now the point of all this teaching is simply that 
it, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that there would be a Messiah who would come to deliver Israel and he would be a king. And kings sit on thrones. And this same Lord Jesus Christ, who came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, who was crucified, who was buried, who rose again from the dead, who ascended to the Father, now sits at the right hand of the Father, is coming one day, and as Joy said, I believe very soon, to assume that throne. And it's called here the throne of his glory. Now, when James is writing here, he's simply telling us, my brethren, we should not have. Now, that word have, do not have, is a familiar word also. It's the word echo, which we understand means to have or to hold. That's why I like this translation here of, of um, Robert Young. He says, my brethren, hold not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the same time being respecting the faces of people. That's really what he's telling us here. King James says, with respect of persons, he says, with uh, respect of persons, um, the analytical literal translation says, with accepting faces. In other words, what he's trying to tell us is, regarding this faith of the, in the, of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we hold, he said, when it comes to the matter of the face of a person, don't equivocate or equivocate on your faith. Stand firm. Hold fast. Don't, you know, let your faith be shaken because of the face of the person that you are either addressing or is addressing you. The person in whose presence you stand. Hold your faith, in other words, without fear of man. That's all he's telling us to do. But it's not always easy to do. But that's what he's telling us to do. Then if we'll look over at Ephesians chapter 2 now. Go back to the other direction. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 8. Now you might remember we said what we're trying to do is establish what does it mean, the faith? What is the content of that faith which we are to hold? And we said that it, it is all that Jesus and his apostles proclaimed and taught including all that they have recorded for us in his word here. And part and parcel of that gospel is the fact that those who receive the gospel and those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have been birthed from above or brought forth from above, who experience and know and enjoy that new birth, have a prospect waiting for them of an inheritance in that future glory. And here in Ephesians, Paul sets forth that very thing. And he begins in verse 1 of chapter 1 in making his address to the Ephesian saints. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, he talks there about the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that we have been blessed with. In verse 4, he tells us there, he has chosen us in him 
before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestinated us unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, all this sounds like God has a purpose and plan in place, doesn't it? He's headed towards something. He's going to fulfill something. And so in verse 6 and 7, he says there that, that this, this choosing and this placing of, of us, he says, is to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That is, he's made us objects of his grace. He has chosen to do so. He simply pointed you out and said, you, I'm going to place my favor, my grace upon you. And it's for a reason, a reason and a purpose that is yet to be fulfilled. Now, in verse 7, he says, in this acceptance, he says, we have redemption through his blood, in verse 7, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He says in verse 9, he may have, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, and there you see that word purposed again, that, verse 10, that. What is the purpose? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things, in Christ. The things in heaven and the things in earth. I'll tell you what, right now, there is no unity between heaven and earth today. But when that time comes and the Lord Jesus Christ returns to establish his throne over this earth, there will then be made unity between heaven and earth. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, thy, Lord, thy will be done in earth and heaven. And it's going to happen. Notice in verse 11, he says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose. Wow. There it is again. God has a purpose. He has chosen us in him to fulfill a purpose. What is that then? Well, look at verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first hoped, it's not trusted, but hoped in Christ. In whom you also hoped, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, what, what are we pointing up to, up, up to this point? What are we aiming at here? To show that that which God has purposed from before the foundation of the world was proclaimed to men. They heard the word of truth. These Ephesian saints heard it. They believed it, and he calls it the gospel of their salvation. And then he says, after that having believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So we, we have the down payment, as it were, the guarantee. So Paul goes on just simply talking about hearing of their faith. He says in verse 16, he doesn't cease to, to give thanks for them and mention them in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. Now, what is he, what is, what is he wanting them to give? Why is he talking like this? What is it he wants to see happen in the, in the lives of the saints at Ephesus? Concerning this knowledge and understanding of what God is going to do in their lives, which has already been laid out from before the foundation of the world, he wants them to 
<clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And, of course, it's the full knowledge, the epinosis knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding are literally there. It's the eyes of your heart being enlightened. You know, when we pray, we talk about what should we pray for when we pray for people, when we just pray for us in general. What are the kinds of things that we should be praying for? One of the things Paul says here to pray for is that all of our eyes would be opened, the eyes of our heart, so that it would be like a floodlight coming into our heart and we would be able to see and comprehend the knowledge of God's will for us. What it is that he is about to do in the future. That he may, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not only is there glory regarding the, the, the throne upon which the Lord Jesus Christ will sit, but those whom he has called to participate with him will also experience and share that coming future glory. Now, down in verse uh, 20, he says uh, concerning Christ when he raised him from the dead and he set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, this age, literally there, but also in that which is to come. This, Paul's telling us, is part of the purpose of what God is wanting to accomplish. That he might not only set Christ above all these, but above every name, not only in this world. Um, Krista had spent, I wouldn't say she spent the night at a friend's house. She was there and she fell asleep last night and, and then... Uh, her friend woke her up early this morning, about 4 o'clock or something like that. And and uh, anyway, she came home, and she came home about the time I was making coffee, and she had coffee, so we started talking. And we, we ended up talking about this word here, world, as it's used in the King James. You know, the, the old uh, Latin word from which we get this word world was used in this same sense of the word for age. So it's not like it's a wrong translation. It's just one that we don't immediately recognize anymore. But the word age is a more understandable word to us today. We understand a period of time, an age of time. And so he's telling, we, you know, in other words, we live in the age of however we want to describe it. The scriptures would call it the, the, the age of the church in which we presently live. And he's telling us that he does not only want to exalt Christ in this age, but also, he says, in the age to come, which we understand to be the millennial age or the messianic age in which Christ rules. Now, he tells us in verses 22 and 23, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, why does he sum it up that way? I think simply to show us that in the church, in the body of Christ, where those who believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom... They are baptized into that body that this is the recognizable, visible expression of God's saints upon the earth. That is, when we're assembled together, as we have this morning. And that in 
this body of people, the church, God is going to fulfill all that he has promised regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and that coming age. Now, I've said all of these things up to this point just to get us to the next chapter and verse 1, where he says, And you hath he quickened, that is, you Ephesian saints, he has quickened, he has made you alive. How? Well, he tells us down in verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. So this all happened, this all came about, he says, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you folks living up there in Ephesus. And then the gospel was preached to you, and you heard the gospel concerning this coming age and all the glory and the inheritance and the promises that are associated with that, and you believe the gospel. But he says here in verse 2, but before that happened, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You, he says, walked according to the course of this world. Now, that's a different word than the word world up there in verse 21. This is the word cosmos. He says, you walked according to the way this world walks. At one time you did. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children or the sons of disobedience. In other words, everything that the world is doing, you were doing. Everything that the world held to, you held to. Everything that the world believed, you believed at one time. Then you heard the gospel. You believed what was proclaimed to you. And it all, he says, came about because you were objects of God's favor and his grace. That means we had nothing to do with it. Nothing whatsoever. It came to us totally by his grace. So this gospel of the kingdom comes to us purely by grace. And that's why I would contend with you that in Acts chapter 20, when Paul says he went about preaching the gospel of the great, proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God, this is what he was talking about. Nothing different than what Jesus and all the apostles, other apostles went about teaching and preaching and proclaiming. Now, if we follow on with this, he talks about, you know, again, the condition they were in, they, he says there in verse 3, their conversation or their way of life in times past was lived in the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy and for this, his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together. With who? Who are we sitting together with? Who has he raised us up together with? Well, he tells us back in verse 20 concerning Christ, whom he raised him from the dead. And those who have expressed faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ have now been raised up together with him to sit together with him in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. That is where our present prospect is right now. And he goes on to tell us in verse 7 that in the ages to come... And by the way, the word ages there is nothing more than the plural of the word world over in verse 21. They just translated it ages. That, they could have said in the worlds to come. 
And we probably then would have understood how the word world is used over here in verse 21 then. But my point here is that in the ages to come, that is, in the ages following the age spoken of here in verse 21, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What a climax Paul builds to as he talks about that coming age and then how he's going to show the riches of his grace even out beyond that in multiple ages past the millennium. Now, verse 8. Notice what he says then. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Notice the context of what he is speaking of when he talks about here being saved. The saved is totally in the context of receiving the same gospel that Jesus and his disciples and all of the apostles, including the apostle Paul, went about preaching and proclaiming following his ascension into heaven. And if we look at that verse just a little bit closer... I want us to see here what kind of faith it is that he says that we're saved by. I want you to listen to Young's literal translation here once again. Young says, For by the favor or by the grace, you are having been saved through the faith. There's an article again. Of course, you don't see it in the English Bible here in the King James Version, but it's there. Through the faith. And that all points us back then to ask the question again. What is the content of the faith of which Paul is speaking? Well, it hasn't changed one bit. From the Gospels through the book Acts... Through all of Paul's epistles, the content of faith has not changed one iota. It's the faith that the disciples had. It is the faith that Paul now held to, though he once tried to destroy it. And it is the faith that he is now preaching and proclaiming to this church in Ephesus. And ultimately, of course, to us. You are having been saved through the faith, and this not from you, but of God, the gift. So we find here then that this gospel is, is declared to be a gift to us. In any old fashion or any old way you want to put it, it's a gift. Now, I'll try to wrap this up. Um, well, I better just quit, hadn't I? In Jude, verse 3, in Jude's epistle, he says this, Beloved, My whole concern was to write to you on the subject of our common salvation, but I am forced or constrained to write you an appeal to defend the faith which was once for which has once for all been committed to the saints. That's Moffat's translation. All I'm trying to say then to sum up this morning is that the content of that expression, the faith, which is not always immediately recognizable in every verse in the scriptures, has to do with the faith that was proclaimed and taught by the Lord Jesus Christ and by all of his disciples 
following his ascension, when they went about in obedience as evangelists proclaiming the gospel. The content of that faith has to do then with the kingdom and the, and, and the glory that will come with that when, he, when Lord Jesus Christ comes to establish his kingdom upon the earth. So, when men and women put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it depends on what the content of that faith was when they believed. Many of us, when we first received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, all we ever heard was Jesus died, he he was buried, and he rose again. And that death was to pay the penalty of your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life. And that's all, that's all you heard. That's all I heard. I, I actually even heard less than that, but I still believed it, and the Lord still saved me. I still had a change of heart, a change of life, a newness of life, a quickening that came over me that I can remember to this day. And it wasn't until many years later that I came into a knowledge of the wholeness of the gospel and all that it proclaimed. And so what I want to say to you this morning is that when we teach and preach the gospel, we should be teaching and preaching the whole gospel and not just a part of it. To tell someone that the gift of God is the life that he intends and desires to give to all who will receive his son that will be fully given when he comes back to this earth to reign over the earth. And it is all entirely and totally by his grace, freely, freely given. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we want to once again thank you for the freeness of the gift, the boldness of that gift that you determined to give And, Lord, I pray that what we have, we would continue to recognize as the joy of your heart to give unto those who will believe your word. I pray that we might believe it and embrace it with all of our heart. I pray, Father, that we would not only do that, but we would follow upon it in full obedience. Just as Paul wrote to the church at Rome concerning the obedience of faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.